Rick Elias is a plane crash survivor, TED Talk speaker, and CEO of Red Ventures, a multi-billion dollar company. On this show, you'll hear conversations Rick feels lucky to have had with leaders, athletes, and innovators. Plus, three things you can learn from each. It's two people, 20 minutes, and three things with Rick Elias. Today, we've got two conversations between Rick and his close friend, Larry Fitzgerald. He's an NFL superstar, the second leading receiver of all time, an 11-time Pro Bowler and a future Hall of Famer. Oh yeah, and at the time of this phone call, Larry had just sunk a hole in one while golfing with former President Barack Obama. This is Three Things. Hello? Larry. Hey, what's going on? You had a insane weekend. Uh... Yeah, I can't believe that uh, what happened to you happened. So I need you to take me there and tell me what was that like hitting a hole in one and hitting a hole in one plane with President Obama. That is crazy. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I'm an avid golfer. I really, really, really enjoy the game. When I got the opportunity to play with the president, you know, I was unbelievably humbled by the opportunity and just to be able to spend some time with him and then uh, on the 13th hole to be able to make a hole in one and him give me the ball out of the hole I mean it's something that you just you couldn't even you couldn't draw it up and um, the day I'll I'll never forget that day Uh, was that your first hole in one no it was my third hole in one but definitely the most memorable my first one I actually did with my dad which was awesome but it was funny because my dad has played over 35 years and he's never had a hole in one so it was kind of like Good job, son. And I'd only been playing for about three months. So it was like, he was happy, but he was like, damn, why can't I have one, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's get into a few other things that happened this weekend. Um, there were a couple football games yesterday. Did you watch them? I did not watch them, but I, I kind of watched the highlights. Yeah. Is it hard to watch after your season is over? Well, yeah, you, just, you, just, you have no rooting interest in the game because you're not participating in it, and you have friends on both teams, and you want them to do well. So it kind of gets it gets a little confusing, you know, for, for somebody who doesn't have any interest. And then you, you know guys. Like, I know, I know Tom Brady very well, and, and then I know, you know, Sammy Watkins and Eric Berry and Justin Houston on the, on, on the Chiefs. So you're rooting for them to do well. It, just, it, gets, yeah. it gets really confusing. Yeah. So uh, I have to ask you, you know, it, it, especially in that Saints game, how is that not pass interference? Well, I think I saw the same thing everybody else saw. It looked like a blatant pass interference. But, you know, when the game is played at that fast, with men moving that quickly in the magnitude of the game, I think sometimes the referees just kind of want uh, the players to do it. It's like the NBA. You know, in the, in, the, in the playoffs, you know, they put their whistles in their pockets. You know, they let the, they let the players deal with it. And that's kind of how I felt that play, uh, you know, worked out is – there was a bang-bang play. It could have been called either way. They decided to let the, the players handle it. So this is going to be a, a fairly, uh, I think, a fairly even uh, Super Bowl. I think the the line opened, Rams uh, favored by one, and I think now the, the Pats are favored by one. Who do you like and why? I'll be honest with you. I, every time, I love Tom Brady. I consider him a close friend, and I always like to see him do well. But every Super Bowl that the Patriots have not won, uh, both times against the New York Giants and then last year against the Philadelphia Eagles, I think the the reoccurring theme is teams are being able to apply pressure. And I don't think there's anybody in the National Football League that can apply pressure with the same consistency that the the Los Angeles Rams are able to. You saw what Donovan um, Sue did last night, and you saw what Aaron Donald's done throughout the course of the year. They have some outstanding edge pass rushers as well. And so I think they're going to be able to – 
put Tom under some duress, make him be able to move his feet and get him out of that comfort pocket zone that he's uh, he, that he likes it and he thrives in. So how are you feeling? A season is uh, your season has been over for three weeks. Uh, are you fully recovered? Yeah, I feel good. Rick. I feel good. Bodies uh, come back. Thank God, I didn't, I didn't have any uh, significant injuries this this season. Um, that's a blessing. And so I'm just uh, mending up, spending some time with the family, and um, you know, sharpening up the golf game a little bit. A year ago, I I asked you if you were retiring or not, right around this time, and you gave me a non-answer. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you again, because <laughs> I know what I know my answer is. So blink if you're going to retire. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, uh, but let me let me ask you if if you uh, decide to uh, to come back, why would you come back? One reason. Uh, passion. You know, I, I really enjoy working for something that's bigger than me, and I, I think you see that. At your job, I see when you walk in that door and that and that smile you have uh, when you, when your employees say good morning to you, and you're a part of different projects, and you see uh, different members of your t of your teams thriving and having success, and that excitement that that, that brings you, um, you know, because I've seen it walking in the building with you. Um, there's no different for, for me, you know. I, I see that same excitement and and that uh, you know the teamwork that's displayed every single day and working together and trying to get these victories. Now, Larry, you, you let your team in receiving uh, yards and catches and touchdowns. I, you know what? You you are too good. You know, think about it. You have Brady at forty-one. You're still young. I, I think we I think we need one more year of Fitzgerald out there. And, uh, you know, uh, kickers I'm, soon I'm, are going to be into uh, the fifty. I think you should be the first receiver to play to forty, man. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I don't know if that Jer Jerry Rice did it many years ago, and you now he's the goat. Yeah. at the position um if any, anybody could do it it would have been him but I, I definitely don't believe that would be me all right I'm, I'm putting in my vote for one more year larry uh -huh. okay all right. all right brother great to catch up for the rest of the podcast we're going to use the conversation you and i had when you visited red ventures a few months ago yeah of course Welcome to Red Ventures. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, Let's it's, give him a hand. Come on. It's, it's, it's grown a great deal since the last time I was here. Yeah. It's called debt. <laughs> All right. Let, let's dig in a little bit into football. What's the secret to the longevity of your career? Tell us a little bit about the things that people don't understand that it takes to be an elite athlete at this level for this long. Well, I think it's a, it's a multifaceted answer. I mean, I would say the first is you have to have the skill. You have to have the ability. Um, you have to have the motivation to do what's required on a daily basis to put yourself in great physical condition. And, you know, you have to put the time in the classroom, studying your opponent, you know, learning new techniques to improve yourself. You know, you have to be completely honest and assessing yourself. I think I see with a lot of athletes nowadays, they're, they're extremely sensitive. I think the generation, they, the difference between being coached and, uh, and somebody getting on you, right? And if somebody's coaching you, that means they're trying to help you. They're trying to help you improve on your craft. And like now with these young guys, I tell them, you know, hey, look, man, you need to do it this way. And they look at me like I'm coming down on them. I said, no, I'm not coming down on them. I just, want, I just want to see you do it better. I want to see you be more effective. And so being able to be coached, I think, is something that... You know, I promise I did not place this question. I, we have this thing that one of the attributes that we recruit for and talk a lot about, and that's why we have a lot of people here that play something, is coachability. 
Oh, yeah. And it's exactly around, you know, people that view any coaching as criticism ultimately plateau yeah, because they don't have that growth mindset. And you literally have hit on such an important attribute. So on, on that point, how much better are you as a receiver, you know, knowing that you're not 23 anymore than you were five years ago or 10 years ago? I'm better now than, than I ever was. You know, even though I'm, I'm limited physically on some of the things I can't do anymore, I don't have the elite speed or quickness, but I'm so much more intelligent. Like I can, I can look at the defensive lineman and I can tell what coverage it is behind him. I can tell, you know, by the fronts. I know what the defense is trying to do to me before the ball's even snapped. Before, I had no clue. I was just going to beat the guy around me, outrun him, outjump him, out physical. Using my physical attributes now, I use my mind. And, and so I'm more of a complete player. I can play outside. I can play inside. I'm a better blocker. I'm a hell of a lot better teammate. So you've, um, you've had very good relationships with a lot of your quarterbacks, but let, let's just play a, a what-if game for a second. If you could pick one quarterback to play with that is still active one more year, any quarterback, who would you pick and why? It would either be Tom Brady or it would be Aaron Rodgers. I think those two are pretty daggone special. I mean, Tom, you know, you just can't fool him from a schematic standpoint. I mean, he, he knows what teams are trying to do to him. He's able to get his team in the right place and just make unbelievable throws still at 41 years old. And, and Aaron Rodgers, I mean, just from there's nobody that throws a football like him. I mean, I, I was in disbelief when I was with him the first time in 2010 at the Pro Bowl. I just could not believe how accurate and how strong his arm was and then how great of an athlete he was also just moving around running i mean i was i was blown away by it did you have qb envy <laughs> you're like oh shit i get to play someone plays with you every day well yeah, i mean i wouldn't say yes. I, I, yeah 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 <laughs> i think that is awesome how about coaching wise is there somebody that you you know again same question coach play for your last year who would you like to play for and why I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know if there's any one coach I would I would like to play for. I think the greatest coach in history is Bill Belichick. I think he gets the most with the least out of anybody who's ever coached before. I mean, you know, you look at other great coaches, Phil Jacksons or Chuck Knowles. I mean, they had multiple, multiple Hall of Fame players, you know. Red Arback, I mean, I don't know how many Hall of Famers he coached with the Lakers or, or John Wooden. I mean, same thing. I mean, they, they had immense talent, you know, so you, you have a bigger advantage when you have better players. But Bill Belichick, I mean, he's had Tom Brady consistently. I mean, Rob Gronkowski, I think, would be a Hall of Famer at the end of it. But besides that, I mean, it, it's different guys in different places, and it, those pieces are interchangeable from year to year so he just does an unbelievable job of getting the best out of guys and giving them the confidence to go out there and play and uh, and play at a high level you know one of the things that i really respect about belichick is that he's not afraid to be a contrarian mm -hmm. you know think about seymour think about all these players that he cut or traded at their peak and how he was the early on philosopher uh, philosophy of moving back in the draft and getting more players and doing a lot of things that for a lot of people weren't, and, and it got me thinking, the interesting thing about your business versus ours is your business is a zero-sum game. Every time a team gets better, you got worse, right? And, you know, and every time you got worse, someone got better. Mm -hmm. You know, as a coach, you have the ability to figure out a way to get better so that everybody gets worse. It's a really interesting thing. Well, I mean, you, you can impose your will on people to make them be worse, though. So, you know, just getting everybody on the same page. So you got 53 guys on the, on the NFL roster, and guys come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, religions, and you try to get everybody to, to focus and believe in the same goal, and, and that's extremely difficult to get everybody to do that. And the coaches that I've been around that have had success with that, um, you know, I've followed a, 
a few basic principles to me, and trust is something that I think you can't put enough emphasis on. You know, you have to be able to trust guys to do what you're coached to do. You have to be able to trust your coaches to put you in position to be successful. You know, you have to trust that guys are going to be accountable, um, dependable, reliable, all of those things that you know, show up in competition when it's the fourth quarter and is this guy willing to do what it takes to win? You know, so to me, being around guys who, who are trusting um, each other and accountable and dependable is, um, is very important. All right, so last kind of what-if question. When you look at your schedule, what is the team or the cornerback that when it shows up, you're like, oh, I hate week eight. Who, who, who is that? No, when, when the schedule comes out, the first thing I look at, because I live in Arizona, is how many cold weather games do I have? That's <laughs> like, we gotta, go, we gotta go to Philly in December? I'm like, no, we gotta go there? No, no, that's the first thing you look at. You know, I'm from Minnesota, I live in Arizona now, and, and when, I, when I left Arizona, it was 76 degrees and the sun was shining, and I, I actually like that. You know, it's a lot better than the snow. But you know, I look forward to playing against the great players because you get to see where you are. You know, you play against the Richard Shermans and, you know, back in the day, Darrell Revis's and guys like that, you know, you get to measure exactly where you stand. And, you know, depending on how the outcome of that game is, you know, I got a lot of work to do or I'm right, I'm on the right track, you know, so you know, know exactly where you stand pretty quickly, which I like. I can't imagine. I can only think of, I know how you think, so I can imagine you walking into a game and you have a corner you've never played against, and by the second play you're like, oh, this is going to be a good day. Yeah. Or this is going to be a long day, you know. <laughs> see, but see, the National Football League is, is crazy because, you know, the guys that have the big names, you know, they get all the accolades, but the guys who second and third year, guys, they look at you and they say, I'm going to make a name off of you, you know. So uh, it's always interesting to look at it. You know, I always say, you know, you're either hunting or you're being hunted. And, you know, you, you always have to have, like, the, the mentality of somebody's, somebody's hunting you, somebody's trying to take your job, somebody's trying to prevent you from doing your job, and I, and I take that very seriously. That's a, that's a good thing to think about. You're either hunting or being hunted. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's turn over a little bit more serious. It's this whole issue of CTE. Right? It, it's a real issue. But what's your perspective on the issue, and do you think that the NFL is doing enough now about it, and then we'll build from there? Yeah, I think it's a, I'm not sure if everybody's familiar with CTE, but it's brain disease that's, that's caused by... Um, you know, head trauma. You see a lot in physical contact sports, hockey, football. You see it the most in the military, guys who are coming back from being deployed overseas. And yes, it's a real issue, something that I, I'm concerned about, something that I see a lot of guys past and, and present dealing with, unfortunately. And so it's something that I'm, I'm constantly concerned about. I'm always doing my reading, trying to understand it, how to prevent it best I possibly can. But, you know, I'm not somebody who kind of sits back and thinks about what if and, you know, I hope it doesn't happen to me. You know, you just got to live life. Most of life you have no control over. The one thing I always have control over is my effort and my attitude. And, you know, I just try to keep a positive perspective and, um, and hopefully, you know, I'm able to stay healthy. If I'm not, you know, I knew what I signed up for. You know, this is a physical game and, you know, there's, there's things, consequences that come with everything you do in life. There's a really interesting, you know, project out a couple decades, you know, the number of kids playing peewee football is plummeting, mm -hmm. like even more than people thought. And I wonder what your opinion is when kids are not, don't grow up playing a sport and families don't grow up following a sport. What do you think are they going to be the implications to the sport itself a decade or two from now? Well, I don't think um, the interest or the love of football has waned at all. I think 
people still love watching football. They love watching the competition. They just don't want their kids playing it anymore, you know? So it's, it's unfortunate. My son's chomping at the bit to get out there and play. You know, if they want to do it, I'm, I'm going to let them play. My parents never put any restrictions on me, told me I can't do this or I can't do that. They said, if you want to do it, you know, work at it and, and we'll see what happens from there. And I'm going to take the same approach with my sons. Obviously, I'm going to give them everything I can in terms of protect them with the elite helmets and proper techniques and things of that nature. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give them my blessing if that's what they want to do. You know, I, I do, as a social commentary, I do worry that the sport doesn't become a way out of poverty for lots of families. Mm -hmm. and eventually, you know, it's yet another divide in our society. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, it shouldn't go on set. It's not a pleasant statement to make. But if 80% of the kids that are playing 10 years from now are kids trying to get out of poverty to use a sport, I, I just wonder what our responsibility is as a society on that. But anyway, a commentary, not, 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 a, not a comment. All right, let's, let's pivot out of that. Um, as soon as the but, Panthers... Rick, you do, Rick, you do yeah. know that. Do you guys know what the highest activity that causes concussions is in the country? Does anybody know what it is in kids? Soccer? Anybody else? Riding bicycles. Now, all the parents in here, you would never say, you know, son, daughter, you can't ride your bike anymore. You know, what you do is you get them some knee pads and get them some elbow pads and a helmet and, and try to teach them how to do it better and more efficiently so they don't hurt themselves. And, you know, I kind of think football, if it's taught properly, you know, you can prevent a lot of the stuff that's happening. Is all. Yeah, and, and, and think about social media and, and all the screen usage is early. What, what are we doing to the brains the same way? We just don't know. So let's, let's pivot away from all this. What, what's after football for you? And how are you going to feel this innate need of learning, getting better, you know, being a teammate, you know, making a difference? Well, I still be able to make a difference, just being a little bit of different capacity. You know, I've been preparing for, you know, the transition for quite some time. It's a difficult transition. It's going to be, no matter how well prepared you are, it is for, you know, CEOs stepping down from major corporations. It's for athletes. It is for Army veterans. Anybody who's done something for a very long time at a high level um, is a difficult transition. But I have a great support group, and, you know, I plan to be more actively involved in my foundation work. And I was in Minneapolis yesterday shooting, um, you know, a piece with Microsoft about doing my technology labs in schools, and I really want to continue to push that just bridging the gap in technology in schools. You know, I think it's the ultimate equalizer. You know, you have the high-end schools and the, the low-end schools, and the kids at the low-end schools, just because it's, they don't have the funding that some of the good schools doesn't mean they should be limited and not learning and have the same resources that the other schools have. And you know, we've done a good job of, we've done 15 schools at this point, and you know, my initiative is to, to try to get to 50 and move on from there. And I have a lot of work to do. I've been blessed with a, with a long career and um, a good platform, and I want to continue to use that in a positive way. Let's talk about social media a little bit. What do you think social media, the good and the bad from an athlete's perspective? I think it's great, personally. I think there's negatives to everything, but I think if used in the right way and managed properly, I think it could be used as an as effective tool to convey a positive message to youth and people who follow you and, and admire you. And, you know, so I, I try to use it in a, in a positive light. You, know, you just have to use good judgment. I always, I always think about that before I send anything out. So... Ten years, you come back and you are shocking the world with something you're doing. That is not kind of the linear projection from NASA, something completely different. So they dream for, with us for a minute. What would that be? I, I would say just uh, making an impact in my community. That, I think you're going to do that no way. I'm not going to let no, you off like, the hook I'm that easy. You're going to do that because you already do. No, but I, I mean just really, really changing like my generation, changing the narrative. You know, especially as African American male, you know, it's it's been a struggle. You know, just to 
just to help in that in that way, I think will be will be huge. You know, my grandfather marched with Dr. Martin Luther King. Like so, my my family, where we come from, you know, have a long history of people that took a stand and made a made a difference. And I think that you know where we are as a country right now is, is divided. Unfortunately, I mean, there's a lot of just negativity, you know, surrounding us as a country. And, and I would like to see that change. Well, I have no doubt, knowing you and what I know about you, that you are going to do that as well or better than anybody out there. So it is time to get back to work. Larry, an honor, a privilege, you're a class act. Thank you. Thank you, let's give him a round. I am so glad you got a chance to listen in to my conversation with Larry. There are three things I take away from this conversation. Number one is that with success comes great responsibility. Larry understands that he's a role model and he uses humility to teach us all what it truly means to be successful. Number two is that the true great ones don't ever hear criticism. If it comes from the outside, they ignore it. And if it comes from the inside, they listen to it as coaching. They understand what they're good at and what they got to improve. And even at 36, he's looking to get better at everything in life. And number three, competition is really not an option. You're either the one going after your competitor or they're coming after you. So why not lean into it? Why not be the one to set the tone of the fight? Larry, thank you. That was truly memorable. Next time on Three Things, former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. Thanks for listening.